Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast, uh, post-game edition. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. We're sitting atop the Levi Stadium press box coaches room where Oregon's football staff called a 37-15 to victory from high atop the box. Eric, I, I think there was obviously Oregon's Pac-12 champs. They will play in <laughs> the Rose Bowl. Let's say that first. Yes. Oregon is Pac-12 champs. They will play in the Rose Bowl. You heard that right. Uh, I don't think either you or I were, were going to be surprised if Oregon won this football game. We both picked them to lose. We did. We both picked them to lose in a short, in a small margin. Um, I think we both said that if Oregon played their best, they were the better team. It's just they hadn't shown any sign of that to, to make you think that was going to happen. But if I told you they were going to win this football game – by, what, 18? 22. Yeah, 22 points. Math is hard. 22 points. I don't think I would have – I would have said you're crazy. Like, yeah. Utah no. is too good of a football team. It's just – the to see how this game played out is just unbelievable and, and almost shocking to see how this – Developed. I mean, they they leapt out to a twenty nothing lead, and I didn't see that coming at all. And then I mean, and then the thing that was really impressive was Utah mounts a big comeback and cuts it to a one score game. They score fifteen points in the third quarter, yep. and that's a that's kind of a gut check moment. Um, you could see a scenario where Oregon maybe folds up and Utah comes all the way back. And then I think Oregon fans on social media and on, on the site on the message board were certainly going like, is this, "Oh boy, is this TCU all over again? Is this going to be another one of those heartbreakers where?" Where we, we uh, blow a, a three-score lead, and no, and, and instead the response was uh, a couple of CJ Verdell touchdowns, a 70-yarder and a 31-yarder um, in the in the fourth quarter to to seal it. And um, let's just point out the fact that like Oregon ran at the best rush defense in the country and just absolutely dominated the game. And that's yeah. a rush defense that hadn't given up a hundred-yard rusher all season, hadn't given up more than 111 yards. Um, all season had only given up 100 yards uh, to a team once all season, and Oregon comes out, runs for 239 yards. C.J. Verdell has 208 of them, um, including three touchdowns. He is the MVP of the game. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I, I just think, and Jake Hansen said it after the game, he said a lot of teams didn't want to run right at the heart of Utah's defense because they were afraid that they would get stacked up there, and they didn't want to run at the strength. But Oregon wasn't. Um, and, and they took it right at Utah's strength, at the, at the core of that defense, at the heart of that defense, and they won the battles um, basically all night. I mean, Oregon averages about six yards per carry. We should mention uh, they'd have run for about 20 more yards if you take away a errant snap that went mm-hmm. over Herbert's head and the ball lands at the one-yard line, and that was one of those moments where you'd be over 300 yards. Yeah, they'd be yeah they'd probably be over 300 yards if you if you you know kind of figure that into it all. And Oregon gains 432 yards, scores 37 points. Um, no question in my mind coming away from that game who the better team was. Uh, that's the surprise. And, and I mean, I that's think, the surprise. Well, and that was why we didn't want to bet, bet against Oregon was, or bet against Utah was because Utah had been so good. Yeah, like it, it was definitively clear by halftime that Oregon was the better football team. Yeah. And there was really no way that you could argue otherwise. And it, it boiled down to at halftime when Oregon is up 20 to 0. At half, and you're thinking, this is just Oregon just can't screw up. Like there, there's 30 minutes left in this football game. It's a three score game, and literally Oregon just can't screw up. Like it, it's it's there for the taking, and they just can't screw up because it, it, that's how definitively better Oregon was in this football game. It would take Oregon to screw up in a 
mont- monumentous amount of ways for this game to happen and uh, to go another direction. And for about eight, nine minutes, yeah, I it think. Looked like it. it looked scary for it, a bit. It looked scary a little bit in the second half. I mean, Oregon, Utah scored 15 points to Oregon's three uh, in the third quarter. Uh, but Oregon pulled away, made some plays that were needed. I, I think there were a couple critical moments. We haven't even talked about this yet, and we should. Yeah. Um, the game opened up in a way, I wrote a story on DuckTerritory.com already about it, um, in which I think it changed the complete dynamic of the game. Shane Lemieux, Oregon's offensive uh, left guard, said just as much. Oregon ran three straight run plays with Justin Herbert, netted 22 yards, and while you think, what's the big deal about 22 yards from Justin Herbert? Like, he had like a 35-yarder against Oregon State in the Civil War on a scramble. Um, these were designed plays. Yeah. And Shane Lemieux said that this, that they saw something, they knew the season was, you know, winding down, and that they, and they knew that Herbert was capable of doing this, and they threw the wrinkle in, and it completely changed the entire dynamic of this football game because now all of a sudden Oregon is doing something that they haven't done all year. They didn't do really much of it last year. And Utah is on the sidelines going, wait, what? Herbert's running the football? He's uh, designed runs for the quarterback? We had, we were not accounted for, for this. We did not expect this to happen. And I'm sure if you ask them you know, in front of a camera, they're, they're going to come out and say, well, we knew he was an athlete and we knew he was going to, you know, he's, he's a threat to run the ball and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But that's, that's bull. Like that, that's, you know, that's, that's politic talk right there. That, that, that's, no one in this stadium knew Oregon or expected Oregon to run Herbert. And I, I think that was the difference of this football game. Well, it certainly changed the dynamic on that opening drive. And again, like Oregon ran for, I think, like 45 yards on that opening drive. Utah has been allowing like 56 on the season per game. And on that opening drive, that I thought that really set the tone um, in that first half. And, and I think, um, you know, defensively Oregon was tremendous in that half. But the, the way the offense played, especially running the football, um, Johnny Johnson, I, we haven't talked about him yet, but like, I mean, you're talking about a guy who had a 45-yard touchdown yep. catch on an incredible uh, uh, move to get open. I think people saw that one. Uh, he was wide open on the touchdown catch, and then he made an incredible catch in traffic that I think ended up setting for, setting up a field goal, but um, the passing game was there, too, at moments. It wasn't as involved in the second half, but um, this was a total team effort, you know, I think in all phases of the game. I mean, I think special teams... Camden Lewis hit all three field goals. Uh, Blake Mamone had some absolute boomers punting. Uh, that punt from the end zone. The end zone. That was a that was a momentum killer for Utah. I mean, Oregon has the ball at the one yard line after that bad snap or that miscommunication. I don't know if it was a bad snap. I think it was just a miscommunication because Herbert was coming up. I think to make a an audible or, or something pre-snap, and Hanson snapped it by mistake, and the ball went flying over his head. But Mamone comes out and just absolutely booms one, and it totally flips the field and kind of the next. He averaged, by the way, he averaged fifty point two yards per punt. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen that average until now. Kevin Kayvon Thibodeau blocks a punt, and we, we'll get to more of what he did defensively in a moment, too, because he was fantastic. But um, So they were really good on special teams. And then defensively, you know, you're going against a Utah offense, which I think is kind of uh, underappreciated in terms of what they had done this season. And Utah had moments running the football. Zach Moss has 111 yards rushing, uh, had a couple big ones. And then in the passing game, a couple touchdown passes, from from Huntley one to Moss and one to Samson Nakua, but the the Nakua one was really the only pass oh, the down the play. field, and it was a really nice play, and that made it all of a sudden a one score game late third quarter, and that, and that was really what felt like there was some life. But 
other than those two sequences, I thought the Utah, the Oregon defense was tremendous. And how about the play of Brady Breeze? Nine tackles, the interception, and, and another start. I think that was something that was a little notable. They, yeah. they, they Verone McKinley usually starts in that spot, but they went with two bigger safeties. Um, Breeze said after the game that was in part because they were hoping to uh, to have a couple bigger guys up there in run support. So they got Pickett, they got Breeze out there, a couple experienced guys, a couple guys who were good in that part of the game. Um, and then Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, I mean, two and a half sacks, and he was in on a ton more. I mean, he was an absolute. He was a different. He was an unbelievable difference maker for this he was. defense. And and when Utah's trying to mount a comeback, and again, Utah probably not built to play from behind like no, that. No, they're not. But it makes it really, really difficult when Tyler Huntley's sitting back there trying to throw the ball downfield in a, in, you know, where they need a lot of points, and you've got Kayvon Thibodeau in his face like almost every play. Oregon had six sacks in this game. Utah had 15 on the entire season. Oregon had nine tackles for loss. Um, just a remarkable effort from that defense. Um, two turnovers forced. Uh, we, we didn't mention Troy Dye's interception, which kind of sealed it. And I think that was a really that was like a defining moment. What a cool moment was that, right? I mean, uh, Troy Dye, arguably one of the better defensive players, certainly of this century. You know, probably in program history, statistically, he'll go down kind of in that discussion as as in terms of a linebacker. And yet, games on. You know, kind of it's not totally over, but Oregon needs to play defensively. He picks it off with that with that broken thumb. And goes down, and and you could tell um, the excitement level that, that not only that that play had happened, but that it was that it was Troy Dye, kind of the leader of that defense, making the play. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about in this one, um, and so many positive things. But like the fact that I think a couple weeks ago, after that loss at Arizona State, I don't know if any of us really expected that they would bounce back like this, and especially because they played really poorly against Oregon State. I mean, they were not playing their best football. And yet they come together, and I don't know if you agree with this, Matt, but I certainly would say that's the best game this team has played all season. Oh, I asked Shane if that was the best game. He said running for sure, um, and then he, he's like, yeah, that, that was probably our best game. And, you know, post-game-wise, listening to the coaches speak, um, Kyle Whittingham, the head coach of Utah, said that, you know, he, he said the most disappointing thing of the season is that they – they lost in the one area that they were undefeated in all year, and that was the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. The quote is, unfortunately, we came up short tonight. Disappointing thing is we lost in the one area we've been undefeated this year, line of scrimmage. We didn't win the line of scrimmage for the first time all season, which is like saying disappointing, surprising, really. He was later then asked post game uh, if he said a lack of a better, the reporter said lack of a better term, but did they out Utah you mm. and beat you with their own strength? And this is his quote. We usually are the more physical team. Like I said, even in the loss earlier in the season, we won the line of scrimmage. I guess you could say that. I guess you could say they beat us with our own strength, with our strength, lied. But they're, they've been physical all year long, too. They're a good football team. They've won 10 games for a reason, 11 now, two good teams going at it. And I think that's that's the you know the, the overlaying theme is is that all week it was, yeah. and, and really the last two, three weeks, it was, wow, when Oregon and Utah play each other in the Pac-12 championship, can Oregon match the physicality that Utah has? Can, can oh. Oregon's offensive line run against this Utah defense? That's, that that's unse- and, uh, there's nothing to say because it was so, uh, such a dominating performance that, like, they not only just answered, like, I, I walk away thinking, like, Oregon plays like this in the Rose Bowl. I don't care who they're playing. They're, mm-hmm. they're winning. I mean, they're, this is the team we envisioned. Yeah. That they would oh, they would turn into, and, I, and I'll say I'm sitting here going like, man, what happened in Tempe? Well, and 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 in da- and Arlington, I'm thinking like the names of Seth Williams and Brandon Ayuk are going to be names that are going to be hard to forget for a really long time for Oregon because 
they're two touchdown passes away from probably one of those, I should say, away. Because I think if they win either of those games, um, they're, they're going to be in the college football playoff. Um, yeah, I don't want to sit and spend too much time thinking about that because that's obviously no longer a possibility. But with a performance like the one we saw tonight, I can't help but think if, if this team had the opportunity to play in a college football playoff, they would give whoever they were playing probably be like Ohio State because they'd probably still be the four seed with one loss, but a, a, a pretty dang good game. And I'm not saying they'd beat Ohio State because that team is extremely talented and probably has like 30 first-round picks. I know it's an exaggeration, but they're so talented. But they Oregon played such a such a great football game tonight, and uh, you kind of wonder what, what could have been. But at the same time, a Rose Bowl is one heck of a consolation, and, and you'll take that. And, Again, Oregon is going to be in Pasadena for New Year's, and that's not something we've been able to say for, for about half a decade, not since Marcus Mariota was here. So um, a ton of credit and, and kudos to this team for getting here, for fighting through this season, especially I think the, the back quarter of the season, the back third of the season, where things kind of got tough. Um, and, and to kind of move on from the Arizona State game, and even the Oregon State game, I know they won, and, and turn out a performance like this. Again, Matt, Matt and I didn't see a performance quite like this coming, but they were certainly up for the challenge. And, and again, I think you come away from this one, uh, Oregon fans driving home, flying home from Santa Clara, being just ecstatic about what they saw tonight. And one one thing I want to mention about Justin Herbert, um, very difficult to get him on camera or yeah. uh, in front of a microphone um, post-game. And there was a reason for that. And I think it's, it was a pretty cool moment. Um, he literally walked. The, the, the post-game locker room is huge. I mean, you think of a locker room for a college athlete and triple the size of that. I mean, it, it's incredibly big. And there are, are over 100 players on Oregon's, Oregon's roster. And Justin Herbert, post-game in the locker room, literally went to every single player and said something to every single player, thanking them for the for the game, thanking them for their performance, thanking them for being a teammate. Every single one, every single guy. He he stopped, he dabbed them up, gave them a handshake, gave them a hug, said something, and then moved on to the next guy. It wasn't a five-second, hey, good job, leave. It was a legit 15, 20, 30 seconds, sometimes longer, moments with guys of every single player, offense and defense. It didn't matter. And there's been a lot of talk, I think, post, you know, this season of who's the leader, who's the type of leader yeah. that Justin Herbert is, and is, is he good enough to, to run an NFL team and whatnot? And every single guy in that locker room was just, like, you could just tell, he, Herbert was the, like the leader of this team, and every guy respected him, every guy, Acknowledged what he did, and it right. was it was a pretty cool moment to see. Yeah, no, I know I agree. Uh, you know, and then we should say the locker room in, in general. Uh, those guys are so excited, yeah. and this means so much. And not, and that's not shocking or surprising in the least bit, right? I mean, they they go out and, and they win a game like this, but especially for like some of those seniors of the roller coaster ride that they were on coming in here, you know, being recruited by a staff that had been, you know, a couple years removed from a national championship game appearance, and and yet here they are. Uh, a handful of years later, having gone through a couple head coaches, having had a four and eight season, all these kind of lows, and, and then just kind of the rebuild. And again, I think, I know Oregon was picked to win the Pac-12 North. Um, I know that they were, you know, considered one of the favorites to do what they did tonight in terms of winning the conference. But I think a, a, you have to give a ton of credit to Mario Cristobal for just changing the culture and doing it quickly. I mean, I, again, I think when you hired him, a guy who was 
largely unproven as a head coach, obviously at a school like this. And, you know, he had some success in his first stint, um, but there were tough circumstances there. But I don't know if we expected that we'd be, you know, two years into his tenure at Oregon, and Oregon would be lifting a Pac-12 Conference Championship yep. trophy at midfield, uh, you know, in Santa Clara at Levi Stadium, uh, and that they'd be playing in a Rose Bowl. I, I, I think that feels... It feels it feels like they're a little bit above or a little bit uh, early in terms of getting there, uh, you know. And, and again, a lot of credit to that and, and this whole staff. But um, they were in such a weird spot in 2015 and in 2016 and in 2017, and to see now in 2019 it turn around that quickly, um, and it feels like this is a program that's going to be around. Oh yeah. Oregon's going to be the heavy favorite next year. I know they lose their quarterback, but in the Pac-12 North, they're going to be the favorite. Yeah, they lose. It's they lose their quarterback. They lose the offensive line outside of Panay Sewell. Um, they lose Jawan Johnson, Jacob Breland, and I'm with you. I don't know how you you look at this team and say they lose Troy Dye defensively. Yeah, lose some guys. I mean, and I, I I'm with you. I don't know how they're not going to be the Pac-12 favorite because. They have a lot of talent still coming back that's on the roster. They have a lot of freshmen that are on the roster right now. Uh, and they have another really, 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 really good recruiting class. That's a lot of really. Yes. Uh, really good. Uh, <laughs> recruiting class coming in next year. And so I'm with you. Like this, I, I was talking with you and I think a couple other reporters post game is that, you know, probably the rest of the Pac-12 was like, dang it. Use a different word. Yes, I did. <laughs> but this is a kid's show, so. Is it? But it was, you know, frustration because when this program is operating right. at a level like it is right now, and you combine it with winning, and you combine it with the marketing, and you combine it with the recruiting that the staff has the ability to do, it could get, it could be setting up a run for some, some really exciting seasons and ones in which Oregon's competing for conference championships and for Rose Bowls and for playoffs and, and national championships. And, national championships. Yeah. and I mean, the, the, the talent that's coming back and the talent that's on this team that right now is pretty special. And you, you talked about it, the fact that it started four years ago with a four and eight year, a coaching change. They see Taggart leave after one season and then they go through another coaching change. And last year they, they go nine and four and it looked like they were back. And then they fell, they fell back down a little bit. And to pick themselves up, Lamar Winston and Lemieux both talked about how this right here tonight is why they, you know, those seniors came back, why those guys bought into the program and didn't waver because they knew they had the pieces, they knew they had the talent, and it was just developing the culture to get this program back to where it was. And, and now it's at a level, I think, look, 2010, or 2011, excuse me. They played in the Rose Bowl with Chip Kelly. Mm-hmm. They did it as well in 2009 with Chip Kelly. Mark Helfrich took Oregon to the Rose Bowl in 2014. And now Mario Cristobal is taking Oregon to the Rose Bowl in 2019. All three coaches completely, you know, not completely, but various degrees of, of difference between all three, sure. especially with Cristobal's program. And I think tonight has proven that it's not a one-year fluke. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a five- or six-year fluke. Oregon is is going to be a proverbial you know powerhouse moving forward. I think I mean you just ran through what the last four years were like for the senior class and and I think nationally I feel like this story kind of gets overlooked of like Oregon was rock bottom almost 
not that long ago and the resurgence and I know we just talked about a second ago but like the resurgence to get back like that's something that doesn't happen all that often you can see programs stay stay down for a long time and sometimes they just don't recover period I mean USC right now is I don't want to say they haven't recovered but they're not anywhere near where they should be or certainly not where they should they were to begin this century and even this decade um but Oregon bounced back quickly and I think a lot of credit not only to Mario Cristobal but to to um Rob Mullins of like picking Mario Cristobal and putting the faith in him. Because, again, the track record as a head coach really wasn't there. And if this hire didn't play out very good, you could be taught. I mean, if, if Cristobal was not the right coach, and they say they go, like, seven wins last year and six wins this year, like, you could see this program fall apart really yeah. fast. And, and yeah. that would, and, you know, it could almost undo all of what happened at the beginning of this decade. But instead, here we are, again, um, you know, Oregon fans celebrating a conference championship game. And, I, again, I still think this is a year or two before I kind of thought it might happen. Obviously, they have a lot of seniors in this team that, that mean a lot, and, and that benefits it. But um, this has all come together really, really quickly and, and in, a, in a really impressive way. Um, and, and, again, just I think this is a day to, to remember and celebrate if, if you're an Oregon fan for sure, and, and the future is, remains very, very bright. We will know who Oregon plays Sunday um, because if Ohio State should win the Big Ten championship game, uh, they will go to the college football playoff. Probably even if they lose. Too. Even if they lose. Uh, and the Rose Bowl then gets to choose who they want from um, the Big Ten Conference. There's going to be a couple varying options yeah. uh, for for two, the two schools in particular for the Big Ten. Um, primarily, it's it's going to be uh, Wisconsin who's playing the Buckeyes in the Big Ten Championship um, on Saturday night, or it could potentially be Penn State who is finishing the year at ten and two. They are 10th in the college football playoff rankings going into this weekend, but they're off. So it's basically going to boil down to does, um, or I I guess you could maybe throw in Minnesota too, because they're they're 10 and 2. It would be a cool story, but I don't know. It would be a cool story. They're probably a very outside shot at that happening. Um, But it's more than likely it's going to be one of those three schools. Probably Wisconsin if they play Ohio State, okay. Like if it's a decent game. Yes. That's what I would say. Yeah, if Wisconsin, if Wisconsin keeps it respectable, then they're in the Rose Bowl. If they get blown out like they did a couple, what, 2014 it was? Yeah, it was the same year. It was like 55 right. to 0 or 55 something to 10 or something like, like that. that. Yeah. Then Penn State probably becomes, uh, the option, uh, for the Rose Bowl. But regardless, Oregon doesn't care. They don't care what, what, whatsoever. Um, Oregon is in the Rose Bowl as the Pac-12 champion. Uh, Utah will play either in the Alamo Bowl or they may get into a New Year's Six Bowl game. Um, as well, we'll see what happens there. So, uh, any last parting shots you got from well, from just one, one hypothetical. Well, I guess I got a couple things I want to say, but I don't know if we want to sure. run through too much. But uh, just like hypothetically, Wisconsin is sort of that's who they play. Is sort of like Utah from the Midwest, and that would be kind of an interesting matchup to see if Oregon can kind of replicate what they did tonight against a, a team again that's big, physical, uh, relies upon the run game and winning at the line of scrimmage. And then another thing that I think kind of gets. Uh, that we haven't talked about, but that was pivotal in this one, was the fact that Utah went for it on fourth down four times. Yeah. And the Oregon defense stopped them all four times. And I think three of those were in situations where if they pick it up, Utah's probably at least getting a field goal out of it. So uh, a lot of credit to the defense, um, not only in terms of forcing turnovers and stopping, uh, you know, the, the run uh, for the most part. I know Moss ran for 113 yards, but also for, for buckling up on, on big moments and stopping uh, the Utes on fourth down four times, which is... That's not always easy to do, especially against a team that is, is so good up front. Um, I think that's just another example of how dominant they were in the trenches. 
um, one small item of note. Dante Williams left the locker room. <laughs> Immediately this, after this, the this, game. This tells you just how dialed in this staff is. Uh, it is a post-game. It is a evaluation period in recruiting. There are two weeks that started on Monday, um, what was it, December the 2nd, uh, that allowed college programs to go out and make in-home visits, make in- on-campus visits, host recruits for official visits. Uh, it's the nitty-gritty moment of recruiting right now. And Oregon lost a whole week of that because mm-hmm. of their preparation for the Pac-12 championship game. And they won't complain one bit about that. Yeah. They, they will take the result that comes with that uh, every single time. But the, the post-game locker room uh, is closed. We hear Mario Cristobal give the final speech. People start trickling out that are boosters and alumni, you know, prominent boosters and alumni. Um, and then all of a sudden, Dante Williams, Oregon's secondary coach, comes bolting out with a suitcase and we can only presume he was – well, we know he was racing to get out of there to catch a flight. And we know, you know, it's presumed that he's recruiting. And that is why this program, I think, will always I know. be in a position for tonight because they do not stop recruiting, even when they've just won a conference championship. You know, they probably will see photos on social media of him in, like, a recruit's house, maybe even just, just tonight. Who yeah. knows? Maybe we'll see him be in, like, Arizona of seeing Keely Ringo or something like that. Uh, at, mid- at midnight tonight, I have no idea where he's going, but I, I thought that was great too. Of just uh, uh, <laughs> there's no time to really sit and bask in the glory of this. He's got to go. He's got to get in a fight, and he's got to get to work. And, and that's the guy who leads the charge with a lot of this recruiting stuff. So uh, that was that, that. That is a good thing to bring up, I think. So Oregon wins this football game again, 37-15. They are the 2019 Pac-12 champions. They will play in the Rose Bowl. They close out the decade with the most conference championships uh, in from the 2010 to t- 2019 with four. Stanford had three. Uh, Oregon is the king of the Pac-12 once more. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem, thank you for listening to another post-game edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos.